Thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus. Lord, that we might find life in him. Lord, we thank you. Lord, that even though we were dead in trespasses and sins, Lord, you have given us the gift of eternal life in Christ. And so, Lord, it's with these things in mind, it's, it's within your sovereign plan of saving grace in mind that we commit our needs and our desires and our cares to you because you care for us. And so, Father, I, I thank you that although it's sometimes hard to be a lone member in an unbelieving family, even unbelieving extended family, Lord, that you have called me to shine your light. And Lord, that it's in times like this when, when they realize that, that this, there is a darkness in the world, when they realize that the death is a reality, and that death doesn't always come at, at the end of, of three score and ten or four score, even five score years, but Lord, it can come even at the tender age of three. Lord, I pray that, that you would help me, just give me wisdom, Lord, to speak your truth, to speak a word of, of due, in due season, like apples of gold and pitches of silver, words of comfort in the gospel, words of hope in the gospel. Lord, to my cousin Andrew, his wife Amanda, over the loss of their little girl. Lord, I, I pray that you would cause me also to, to live in the light of my hope in Christ before my, my uncle and aunt, before my parents and and other family members. Lord, I pray that, that many of them would, would even turn away from their sin and find life in you through this tragedy. Lord, we pray also for Bryn and Beverly as, as Bryn grieves the, the loss of, of his mother, Rita. Lord, and it, it's, as it's evident that this is a, a close family, but... Lord, their, their closeness is, is based only on flesh and blood, not on the blood of Christ. I pray, Father, that you would comfort Bryn and Beverly. I pray, Lord, that you would comfort Jenna and Samara and help them, Lord, to shine your light into their family. I pray, Lord, that, that you would glorify your name even through the death of Rita. Lord, we thank you for uh, Bill Milliken finding... A, a care facility so close to home, and, and Lord, just the, the testimony of, of your providence. We thank you, Lord, for, for doing what Jane could never have done in, in finding, in finding that, that home for him. We, we pray, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen her as she um, cares for Bill. We, we pray that you would, would help her to uh, speak also words of comfort from the gospel to Bill as he suffers failing health. Lord, we also pray that for Karns White as, as he cares for his wife of over 70 years. As her, faith, as her health fails, but even her faith remains strong, and we know that that is a testimony of, of your sustaining power in her life. And we pray, Lord, that you would comfort Karns. We pray the same, Lord, for, Lord, for Helen Higgins as she grieves the loss of Ivan. Lord, we pray that also for Rhonda and Dylan and Samantha as they shine your light in their family. Lord, as, as seemingly amongst very few believers in that family. Lord, we pray also for Clarence and Lucille Knapp. We know that they would love to be here with us, but with Lucille's failing health, that is, is impossible at this time. Lord, we thank you for that sweet couple and the, the encouragement that they are and ask your sustaining grace in them as they even continue ministry in their care home. We pray also for Adelia, 
Lord, as she struggles with, with depression and this chronic illness, Lord, that she too would be able to see her circumstances in light of the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would help us who, who have the, the luxury of mobility and the luxury of good health, Lord, to be ever mindful, Lord, that this is a gift from you. And Lord, that, that, uh, that you would cause us who, who have these gifts, Lord, to use them for your glory. Help us, Lord, to live our lives, to pour out our lives in service of others for your glory. Lord, we thank you for those who are doing that as missionaries all around the world. Lord, we, we thank you, Lord, for those who are, are serving in, in North Africa and, um, Lord, in, throughout the Middle East and Asia, Central and South America, and even those who are serving as missionaries here in North America. Lord, we pray that, that you would help them, sustain them by your grace, and Lord, that, that they would remain faithful to the gospel, that they wouldn't get sucked into demand-centered means, man-centered methods, and man-centered motives, but Lord, that they would see as their, their primary purpose to shine the light of Christ, because the Lamb is worthy of the reward of his suffering. Lord, we pray that you would help us by your grace and for your glory to also remain faithful in, in this community, in our families and neighborhoods. And Lord, just help us, Lord, to see that we are your representatives, that, Lord, that we are not our own, that we have been bought with a price, and that price is the precious blood of Christ. But Lord, we are so tempted to follow the ways of the world, to follow the ways of the flesh and even the way of the devil. So Lord, we need your strength by your spirit. We need you to help us, Lord, to overcome sin and temptation, that we might live lives that are worthy of the gospel in which we've been called. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Tyler to, uh, to come forward and read our, our scripture reading for this morning. He'll be reading John chapter 10, uh, verses 1 to 21. It's page 798 in your pew Bible. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door by the shepherd of the sheep, to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out in, in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is hired, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the, she the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have another, sh and I have another sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, that they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, 
because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it up but me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He is a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, this is, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray one more time together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the good shepherd who lays down your life for your sheep. And Lord, we thank you that you have the authority to lay down your life. You have the authority to take it up again. You also have the authority to call us from death to life. Lord, we thank you that the power which raised you from the dead, your Holy Spirit, is at work in the hearts of your people. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would lend power to my words. Lord, that these words would not be my words, but that they would be your words. We pray, Lord, that, that you would do what I could never do, that you would use these words to effect change, whether that be in the, in the lives of those who truly know you as Lord and Savior, or Lord, whether that would be bringing from death to life those who are still dead in trespasses and sins. But Lord, we ask that you would work by your word in our midst for your glory. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an old story about a group of, of Christians who were visiting Israel, and they had a guy that was providing them commentary for the sites that they were seeing. And as they saw that the hillsides of Israel dotted with sheep, the guide explained that unlike Western shepherds who drive the sheep, often with a sheepdog, for millennia the shepherds in Israel would be out in front of the flock, gently leading them to water and good pasture. Then not long after, as the group approached a village, the tourists were surprised when they saw a man walking behind a flock of sheep, shouting at them and prodding them along with a stick. And so shocked, they said to the guide, we thought you said that shepherds are gentle and that they, they lead the sheep from out in front. Why is this man driving them and treating them so roughly? And the guide simply replied, that's not the shepherd, that's the village butcher. But how many of us here have had any real direct experience with sheep? Not very many of us. We, we grew up, most of us, in Canadian cities, and, and so we, we really don't have much experience with them. I, I know that, that in Canada, there's only about 800,000 sheep, and we're in a country of, of about 34 million people. Not very many sheep. But people in countries like Australia have a much more intimate knowledge of sheep. That country of only 22 million has... 80 million sheep. That's, that's almost four sheep for every single person in the country. During Jesus' time, there was also an abundance of sheep. There, it was an agrarian culture. Most people were familiar with agriculture. Sheep were everywhere. Meat formed a major part of their diets. Their, their, the sheep's fleece was used to, to make wool that provided their clothing. Lambs were a vital part of the temple sacrifice. And even today, there's still 500,000 lambs in Israel killed every year for meat. But suffice it to say that people needed sheep, and sheep needed shepherds. Philip Keller, in his book, A Shepherd Looks... At Psalm 23, he talks about his intimate experience that he had with sheep. He was for several years a shepherd in eastern Africa. 
And so what he does through his book is he, he looks at Psalm 23 and then interjects his own experience and expounds on it to, to show what, what is really taking place here. And he explains that the sheep are not the smartest of animals. They easily get lost. They're unable to find clean water without help. They're dirty and greasy. Everything sticks to them, even their own filth. He explains that they're so helpless that they can either easily become cast rolling over and then being too too weak to actually be able to, to get up. So they'll just lie there on their backs, flailing their legs in the air, and if the shepherd doesn't come to right them again, they'll just simply grow tired and weak and will eventually die. John MacArthur asks whether the Lord just made sheep in order to make a spiritual point. Because we are so often like those sheep. Apart from Christ, we are helpless. We're easily lost. We're unable to find the things that we really need. We're unable to find life. We're, we're, we're helpless when predators come. We need our shepherds. So Jesus begins John chapter 10 with a parable about shepherds and sheep. Now, this isn't a parable like those in the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with the parable of the soils or the parable of the talents, where the, the comparison is direct. Those are, are more like similes. Whereas here in John, this is a, this is a metaphor. The, 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 what Jesus is saying here is not... The application is not directly made. It's inferred. This is actually an extended metaphor. And John doesn't include any of those, those other types of parables like in the Synoptic Gospels. These, these, this is the only one that, these are the only ones that, that he includes. So here he's talking about, about shepherds and sheep. In John 15, he talks about vines and vine dressers. But his, his meaning here, he's not, he's not doing this to talk about animal husbandry. He's revealing the difference between the good shepherd and false shepherds. He's revealing the difference between sheep and, by implication, goats. So here in, in verses 1 to 21, and in, in verse 1 to 5, we, we have the parable itself. And then in 6 to 18... 7 to 18, rather, the, Jesus explains the parable. And then in 19 to 21, we see the reaction of his hearers. And there's, there's four main points of comparison that Jesus makes here. The first one is that false shepherds try to enter another way, but Jesus is the way. The second is that sheep don't follow strangers, sheep follow Jesus. The third is that false shepherds come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus provides abundant life. And then the fourth is that false shepherds flee at danger, but Jesus gives his life for the sheep. So the first point, false shepherds try to enter another way, but Jesus is the way. Jesus begins this passage with another truly, truly. And it's important to note here that whenever, whenever Jesus does this, he's not introducing a new topic. He's actually continuing what has come before. So the, the chapter break here is, is a little bit um, misguiding. This is a continuation of the discussion that he'd had with the Pharisees in John chapter 9. He's not beginning a new topic. He's, he's continuing an indictment against the Pharisees. Now, if you remember, the Pharisees had just, in John chapter 9, they had just, they had just uh, interrogated the man who had been born blind. And when he confessed Christ, what did they do? They, they put him out of the synagogue. And then so when Jesus, when Jesus said to the, the blind man, after he'd been put out, in verse and verse 35, it says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. So this man, who was blind 
spiritually has now received spiritual sight. But then he goes on. The Pharisees who are there overhearing these things said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So this, this passage here, what we're going to study here in John chapter 10, is a continuation of what Jesus has just said. The Pharisees assumed the role of religious leaders, but instead of worshiping Jesus after he had proven yet again that he is the Son of God, by healing the man who was born blind, they cast the man out and they challenged Jesus. Now the man was no longer blind. His spiritual eyes had been opened, but the Pharisees proved that they were spiritually blind even though they claimed to be the spiritual leaders of Israel. Jesus indicted them in Matthew 15, 14. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. So there's no doubt that this, this message here in John chapter 10 is continuing. It's, it's against them. So he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. The shepherd, however, enters by the door. Now this concept of, of sheepfolds, again, because we, we live in, in a city in Canada, is, is probably unfamiliar to most of us. But it would have been well known by those who would have read John's gospel account. Now although some sheepfolds were temporary and made of an, an open pen with, with thornbush sides, Jesus was referring here to the permanent structures and, and this is explained by Fred White. It's a, the, the permanent sheepfold, is, it's a low building with, with walls and a roof, and then it's surrounded by a larger enclosure. And what would happen would be that the, the sheep and the goats in, in mild weather would be allowed to stay uh, overnight inside the, the larger enclosure, but when the weather was inclement, inclement, they would have to go into, the shepherd would take them into the, the inner sheepfold. Now, the, the walls of the enclosure were about three feet wide at the base and about six feet tall, four to six feet tall. And at the top, they would be covered often by, by thorn bushes that would keep predators and thieves out. And at the door of the sheepfold, there was actually a gate, and it was guarded by a watchman, or sometimes by the shepherd himself. And, and he would actually lie across the doorway so that if, if anything or anyone wanted to come in, it would have to come in past the watchman. But Jesus says here that thieves and robbers would try to enter another way. They'd try to get in over the wall. They would skulk around at night doing everything that they could to avoid the gatekeeper. But the shepherd, on the other hand, simply walks in through the door. He has authority with the gatekeeper. But Jesus says here that he is more than the gatekeeper. He is the door. Look at verse 7. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And he says it again in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way that is easy, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The only way to enter is through the narrow gate. And this is the most narrow of gates. This is only one person wide. And the person here is none other than God the Son. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. So Jesus here is guarding the sheep. 
but he's also the entrance. The only way to find safety and life is through Christ. Now, shepherds in Israel, and they still do this to this day, that as the, as the sheep would, would come into the sheepfold, the, the shepherd would stand there at, at the gate and would count the sheep as they came in. And if he didn't fall asleep, he would carefully examine them for injuries and parasites and disease. He knew each sheep intimately. And the sheep would develop an intimate relationship with him. This leads me to my second point. Sheep don't follow strangers. Sheep follow Jesus. In verses 3b to 5, Jesus says, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out, when he's brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, it was common in Israel to have several flocks of sheep in one sheepfold. And Gerald Borchard tells of his time teaching in Israel when he witnessed uh, Bedouin shepherds in the early in the morning leading their sheep out of of the sheepfold, and he would, would talk about how these the shepherds would, would begin in his turn to, to sing and to call his sheep, and that they would, would each dutifully separate from the main flock and follow after their individual shepherd. What a beautiful picture of the intimate relationship that the shepherd has with the sheep. What a beautiful picture of our intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus knows us intimately. He calls us his own sheep by name. He calls out all of his own. No sheep is left behind. In the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Luke 15, 4 and 5. Beloved, this is the kind of love that Jesus has for us. He who calls us is faithful. 1 John 5, 24. Jesus doesn't lose any of his sheep. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12, 2, Jesus started it, and he will complete it. And the, shepherds know, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. Jesus says again in verse 8, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. There was one way to tell the difference, one major way to tell the difference between sheep and goats is who they follow. Sheep discern, true sheep discern truth from heresy, and the measure of truth is the word of God. Paul exhorted Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 2-4, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions." and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. What could better describe Western so-called Christianity in our day than this? We're living in a day when all sorts of things pass themselves off as Christianity. People are deceived by the, the next flavor of the month heresy that flows down the pipes. In recent years, we've, we've seen the so-called seeker-sensitive movement deceive many. Now it's the emergent church and Eastern mysticism that's crept into the church. Books like Your Best Life Now and The Shack deceive many. 150 years ago, C.H. Spurgeon declared that a time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. Does that not describe many so-called churches in our day? Clowns deceiving the goats. We need to be very, very careful. What's being taught in many churches isn't even milk. It's like GMO soy milk. 
It provides no nourishment. It'll actually poison you. It's gotten so that the gospel has become so misrepresented in so many churches that when you come along and preach the truth, people will call you a heretic. I've had this happen. People have actually challenged me for preaching the real gospel, saying that I got it wrong. And if you're faithful, people will say the same thing to you. Now, of course, what, what some of these teachers say sounds pretty good, and, and they do quote scripture from time to time, but it's, it's usually out of context. We need to be very discerning. We need to discern according to the word of God. False teachers don't have a flashing sign on their heads that says heretic. Paul warns in one of the Corinthians and us in 2 Corinthians 11 to 13 to 14, that we shouldn't be deceived by false teachers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. And he says, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Now, there might be some sheep, there might be some who for a time are actually deceived by this stuff, but true sheep will hear the voice of Jesus. They know Jesus' voice. They recognize Jesus' voice. Brothers and sisters, we know the word of Jesus. Jesus is the word. We who are in Christ are growing in God's word, sustained by solid food, having our powers of discernment trained by constant practice to discern good from evil, Hebrews 5.14. We're not being conformed to the world, but we're being transformed by the renewal of our minds that by testing we may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, Romans 12.2. But it's one thing to be able to recognize the difference between truth and error. It's quite another to act on it. Sheep follow the shepherd. That's another key difference between sheep and goats. Sheep do what the shepherd says. They go where the shepherd tells them. I know a number of people whose whose doctrine is impeccable. They can dot all of their doctrinal I's and cross all their doctrinal T's, but they aren't living out what they profess to believe. James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, James 1.22. And John says that if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth, 1 John 1.6. People who are empty professors are actually in a worse position even than the ignorant. This is especially true of those who claim to be teachers. James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James 3.1 This is, I, I, I realize that this is, this is pointed at me. That's why, by God's grace, I strive to not stray from what God's word says, but only teach that which accords with the Bible. People aren't driving two hours to hear the, the, the ideas of John Tucker. It wouldn't be worth driving 30 seconds to hear the ideas of John Tucker, but if you are hearing the words of God proclaimed, as we trust by God's grace you are, then this is something worth hearing. This is something worth coming for. Turn, please, in your Bible to Matthew chapter 25. Here we see the, what happens to sheep and what happens to goats. Then in verse 32... At the final judgment, when all the peoples of the earth are gathered before the Lord, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's going to say to the sheep, come here on my right hand, and to the goats, go to my left hand. 
And those who are on the, to on, on the right, he will say, as we read in verse 41, sorry to the ones on the, on the left, he will say, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and, and in prison, you did not visit me. Goats do not follow in the footsteps of Jesus, the good shepherd. But, let's go back to, to what he says to the sheep. Verse 34, he'll say this to those on the right. Come, you are blessed, who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me and so on. True sheep follow Jesus. And not just in these ways, not just in a, in a ministry to those who are weak and helpless. True sheep will follow Jesus in everything that he commands. Again, they'll, they'll go wherever he tells them to go. He, they will do whatever he tells them to do. And then in verse 6 of John chapter 10, as an indictment against the Pharisees as an, and as an introduction to the explanation of this parable and the verses that follow, John says, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. The Pharisees didn't understand. They weren't Jesus' sheep. Now remember, the man who had been born blind, on the other hand, who was disdained by the Pharisees and expelled from the synagogue by them, was a sheep. And this leads me to my next point, number three. The false shepherds steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus provides abundant life. Jesus reveals the motives of the Pharisees in verse 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. They have no care for the sheep. They only want to exploit the sheep for their own purposes. Jesus criticized the scribes of the Pharisees directly in Mark 12, 40 for devouring widows' houses. In this incident, Jesus talks about the, the woman who had, or they, they talk about the woman who had, had thrown in a, a penny a widow, she she given out of her poverty. She threw into the offering all she had. Now this is often considered to be an encouragement to give until it hurts. But in context, this is actually an indictment against the religious leaders who were destroying this widow's house. It's what the Pharisees did. But even after robbing their followers, the Pharisees would destroy them. They would bind their consciences with man-made laws which teach that salvation came only through obedience to those commands. And Jesus pronounced woe against the Pharisees for this in Matthew 23:15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. They were zealous to make converts to their version of Judaism. But Jesus condemned them. Ezekiel prophesied against such shepherds in Ezekiel 34. Verses 2 to 4, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up. The stray you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. Because of these so-called shepherds, the sheep were scattered. Peter talks about, about our, our role who are our elders in the church as under-shepherds 
In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. As an elder in this church, I tremble over these words and I see my own shortcomings. But by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I'm being transformed slowly but surely into the image of Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. As he is at work in me, to will and to work according to his good pleasure. But that is not true just of shepherds, of under-shepherds. It's true of all who call on Christ. All of us, we all are his workmanship in Christ. We have all been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so by God's grace and for his glory, we're growing. We're growing in this. But then compare these false shepherds with Jesus, the good shepherd. We've already looked at verse 9 where he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. We've seen what it means that Jesus is the door. Enter through him and be saved. The gate is narrow and the way is hard and few there be that find it. But when you find it, you will receive life, abundant life. And what comes to mind when, when I use the term abundant life? Many people have a completely different idea of what abundant life means, completely different from what Jesus means here. They think that Jesus is promoting health and wealth. But Jesus isn't talking about riches. He's talking primarily about eternal life. Enter by Jesus and be saved. But he will also provide you with pasture. Not only did he die to purchase your eternal life, but he will give you everything you need in this life too. We're told in Matthew that that seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things will be added to us. Brothers and sisters, everything that we need comes to us from the loving providence of God. We're talking this this past Wednesday evening about common grace, about God's common grace about the way in which God provides for not just just his children, but God provides even the very breath that the atheist uses to mock God. And it's only by an act of God's sustaining grace that he doesn't obliterate those who, who mock him. Immediately, And who knows, but maybe some of those who now claim to be atheists, I'm sure of it, that even those who now claim to be atheists, some of them will, by God's grace, turn from death to life. So Jesus isn't talking here primarily about abundance, But we do have abundance in Christ because he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? As if Christ himself wasn't enough. With Christ, God graciously gives us all things. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. 
Think about the things that you want or the things that you think you want. Maybe things that you've prayed about for years and years and years, but God has not given them to you. Have you thought about the fact that it is only because God is the good shepherd that he knows what's best for you? He knows what's best for you better than you know it yourself. So if God is withholding anything from you, he's withholding it from you because it is best for you. He wants us to he wants to shape us. He wants to mold us. He wants to to cause us to call out to him in prayer. He wants us to let go of the trifles that this world offers and lay hold of him as our treasure in heaven. Now, I I couldn't really preach this sermon about Jesus as the good shepherd without turning to Isaiah, sorry, to Psalms chapter 23. I'm sure most of you are very familiar with Psalm 23. It's probably the, the most often quoted psalm in the Bible. With the exception maybe of John 3, 16, it's probably the best known passage in the Bible. It's even quoted sadly at at funerals of unbelievers so even as as i was was at at the care home with with Bryn's mother on friday his unbelieving family were familiar with psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He goes on to say in verse 5, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So we have a really stark contrast there. We have green pastures and still waters. We have a table of blessing. And then in verse 4, we have the valley of the shadow of death. What a contrast. Many people here think that David is is mixing a metaphor, talking about preparing a table before him in the the presence of his enemies. And, And we know that David had enemies. He'd experienced, even though he'd been anointed king, being chased by Saul through the wilderness. He experienced the rebellion of his own son, Absalom. David knew what it was like to be sustained by the Lord in these things. But don't forget, David also knew what it meant to be a shepherd. He'd started out his life as a shepherd boy, and, and, and we read in the scriptures about how he was able to, to kill a lion and a bear in protecting his flock. But he wasn't mixing a metaphor here. Tim Challies, in talking about Philip Keller's book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, talks about how this, that book helped him to understand Psalm 23 so much better. Keller says that that this table before him in the presence of his enemies actually refers to a mountaintop meadow that the shepherd would would carefully prepare before the, the sheep would come there to graze. And likewise, when he talks about anointing his head with oil, this is drawn from the shepherd's task of putting oil on the sheep in order to ward off the pests that would drive the sheep to distraction. This is one metaphor of of what it means to be a good shepherd. When we say, when we read here that, that the Lord is my shepherd, this is Yahweh. I am. We've seen repeatedly how Jesus is the I am of the Old Testament, even when he says, I am the, the door. I am the good shepherd. This is a construction that was intentionally meant to point back to who he is as Yahweh. So what Jesus is saying here in John 10 is that Psalm 23 is about me. 
I am the good shepherd of Psalm 23. If you want to know the good shepherd, if you want to know what good pasture is, if you want protection, if you want life, come to me, come to the good shepherd. And so King David here in Psalm 23 is inspired by the Holy Spirit to prophesy of Jesus, the good shepherd who is to come. This leads me to my final point. False shepherds flee at danger, but Jesus gives his life for the sheep. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. And it's no coincidence that Psalm 23 in our Bibles follows directly after Psalm 22 that so clearly prophesies the sufferings of Christ. The comfort of Psalm 23 is preceded by Christ's sufferings on the cross. The cross comes before the comfort. You can't have Psalm 23 without Psalm 22. And it begins with the words that were quoted later by Jesus, Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The psalmist goes on to describe the wicked surrounding him and mocking him. The soldiers casting lots for his clothing, piercing his hands and his feet. This was the suffering of Christ on the cross as he bore the guilt of the sins of his people, his sheep. To see that, Jesus says, I laid down my life for who? For the sheep. Jesus doesn't lay down his life for every nameless, faceless man, woman, and child in humanity. He lays down his life for the sheep. He doesn't lay down his life for the goats. Otherwise, their sin would be atoned for as well, and this would, be, would mean universal atonement. This would mean universalism, that everybody is saved. But Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. And the Father's righteous wrath was poured out on Christ's head in place of his sheep. And even there in Psalm 22, the Savior is confident that the Father would deliver him, for he says in verse 24, For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. And we see this in the resurrection, that the Father was satisfied with the wrath that he had poured out on Christ. He was satisfied with the sufferings of the Son in our place. But then compare this in verse, with verses 12 and 13 with the hired hand that cares nothing for the sheep. He flees and leaves the sheep to be scattered and killed. Remember Ezekiel 34. Think about David as a shepherd in Psalm 23 as, as a young man killing a lion and a bear to protect his sheep. Philip Keller in his book relates how how in, on, in one incident that just two dogs killed 292 sheep in a single night of unbridled slaughter. Sheep are completely helpless. They have no means by which to protect themselves. They don't have teeth to bite or claws. They, they, all they have is to flee. And what will happen is eventually when, when an animal is chasing them, they get to the point when, when they're, they're so tired that they just stand still and are devoured by the predator. Keller tells of, of one night, or one morning when he, when, he kept, when he came out and found that a cougar had killed nine of his, of his choicest ewes in his flock. And he said from that night on, he slept with a 303 
next to his bed with, along with a flashlight, and at the least sound of a disturbance in the sheep, he would be out with his dog and chasing away whatever predator was there. And he talks about how, how his sheep soon realized what it meant for him to be there, and nothing quieted and reassured them so much as, as him being there amongst them. Now, shepherds in biblical times didn't have 303s. They had, they had a crook, a, a long pole that they would use to beat off predators. And the good shepherds would lay down their life for the sheep. Look at verse 14. Jesus says again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. We saw this earlier. He knows them personally, intimately. But then think about the comparison that he makes here. It says in verse 15, just as. Just as the Father knows the Son. Think about that for a moment. Think about the intimate relationship that the Father has had with the Son throughout all eternity. And that is the kind of relationship that Jesus Christ, our Good Shepherd, has with us. The most intimate of all relationships. But then Jesus says in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice as well. So that there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus is, is referring here to the Gentiles. Beloved, he's referring to us. We are God's flock. We are the other sheep. We are another I guess, breed of sheep that God has brought into his sheepfold. We have been grafted into the natural root of Israel. There is one shepherd. There is one flock. Then Jesus returns again in verse 17. Talking about the love that his father has for him, and he gives a reason for it. He says, Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. The son was perfectly obedient to the father, even to the point of death on the cross. And see here, Jesus' authority. He has the authority not only to lay down his life, but he has the authority also to take it up again. He says to the Romans, you, to Pilate, you have no authority but that which is given to you. If Jesus wanted, he could have called down 12 legions of angels to obliterate every soldier. But he was obedient even, even to death on the cross. But then Jesus also has the authority not only to lay down his life, but also to take it up again. Jesus is God. He is God. We're going to see next week that, that when he says that I and the Father are one, he's saying even more clearly that he is fully God. As God the Son, he is deity incarnate, truly God and truly man. And the Pharisees are going to respond to that, again proving that they are false shepherds, again proving that they are not his sheep as they seek to kill him. So, beloved, as we think about these things, as we think about, about what it means to have Jesus Christ himself as our good shepherd, as we think about what it means to be his sheep, shouldn't that cause us to live a life that is totally different? Totally different 
from the goats that are all around us? Shouldn't that fill us with a profound love for Jesus that is willing, joyfully willing to follow him wherever he leads? This doesn't make us his sheep, but it proves that we are his sheep. So by God's grace and for his glory, as you, as you enter this week, let these truths penetrate and permeate every cell of your being so that you live a life that is different out of love for your Savior. Let's pray together.